Hey guys, thanks for tuning in. Tonight, before I go to bed, I'm dropping my conversation with Whitney Thornburg-Macon for your listening pleasure. To be frank, this episode's pretty sick. You're all in for a treat. Whitney was super generous with her time, speaking with us for over an hour and then hanging out on the line after the mics were turned off for at least another 30 minutes. Her story is one of inspiration, trials, and tribulations, mixed with personal achievement and hunger for additional growth. From an under-recruited high school athlete out of North out of Asheville, North Carolina, to a regional qualifier in the 10K at Harvard, all the way to anchoring the 2015 cross-country national champions from the University of New Mexico as a fifth-year senior. Whitney has stayed humble and hungry. Post-collegially, Whitney finished 40th at the U.S. Olympic Trials in Atlanta, Georgia, on February 29, 2020, and further bested that effort with a <clears throat> two-hour, 33-minute performance at the Marathon Project in Chandler, Arizona in December of 2020. Tune in as she graciously tells her story, shares how she whole ass is one thing instead of half asses two, and expects nothing and appreciates everything. How are we doing? Oh yeah, I'm my pleasure. I feel so privileged, so fancy. Yeah, like, I mean, I'm sure Chris has probably told you a little bit about it, but like we just, and between Chris and I, I think we've listened to enough podcasts where we're like, oh, like, these stories are pretty cool, but they're not relatable to anybody else. So like, um, you, you can only listen to the same like stories again, like the, the division one athlete that was like full ride to Syracuse yeah. who, so, but so like looking into some of the other people's stories and just kind of like creeping up on results and stuff. I was like, Oh, yeah. this person has like a pretty cool story. And then it just so happened that like Chris knew somebody who was like, perfect for the job so I appreciate yeah, you joining us absolutely I I've always felt like I had a little chip on my shoulder for that reason like it's it seemed like it came easier to other people you know and it and it's yeah. never exactly what you have in your head because everyone's story is different but it's it's cool to look back and see the progress when a lot of moments along the way I never thought I would I, I never thought I would you know achieve some of the things I did but I just had the same attitude you know yeah. <laughs> like just go through the process and see if it if it can work <laughs> it's like um so when I was I was like usually start this off and it hasn't I think it can kind of sound kind of creepy although the intent is not there hello what's up Whitney, hey, Whitney. how are you good how are you guys good thanks for joining me well thanks for joining up <laughs> like some of my favorite things are like talking to new people talking uh like about running and then just um like looking you know, kind of like creeping online so um so like when we were when I was looking when we were kind of doing like our legwork prior to this it was like pretty interesting to see that well actually we found a lot of cool stuff but like I think the coolest one was that you were a walk-on at Harvard and then you know like were recruited to University of New Mexico where you ended up winning a national championship so yes. I thought that that was awesome yeah talk about like a last chance I the the recruited athlete lifestyle and like the the visits and all this stuff I just dreamed of as a you know 18 year old kid and then as a 22 year old I was like I love this like I'll I can do it like the last time I can get I get this chance but it was um super cool and I think I appreciated it more after that long of a wait I was gonna um, just yeah, say fun <laughs> I was gonna say the same thing as like um 
because I had an extra year of eligibility when I left my school. And um, I wasn't sure if I was going to go to PT school right away. So just like talking to some coaches and like I never did that when I was 18 or like 17 because I, I never really focused on running. So yeah. just like that, I think I was able to appreciate it so much more. Absolutely. Yeah. And just getting away from the the bubble of, of high school senior where it seems like every little piece of your future is going to be decided in that one moment. And like, to be honest, Harvard was, it turned out great, obviously, but I, I wanted to go there because it was super famous school and everyone would think it was great if I got in and mm-hmm. not the most um, mature. That the priority? I don't know if I froze there. Anyway, the re- I, I don't think that I was as intentional with choosing Harvard as, you know, the, the most mature high schooler kid is. And I, as a fifth year, I didn't go to New Mexico because like someone else would think it was cool. Like half the people, especially non-runners don't, don't know anything about Albuquerque. They're like, that is the middle of nowhere. Why would you do that? And that didn't matter to me. Like I knew what my priorities were and my goals at that point. And it was perfect fit, you know? So that was, that changed a lot in those four years. I'll say there are, there are less mature uh, decisions for 18 year olds to make than then going to Harvard. Harvard. Yeah. That, that's... I knew it would turn out fine. It was just <laughs> a little, I think a little bit vain in terms of like why I wanted to go there, like external. Um, yeah. But it, I met so many people there that, you know, told me otherwise. So that's, that was not my experience once I got to Harvard, but it was hard to fight that um, just measuring up to the, the other you know, millions of <laughs> high school kids trying to be perfect. So what went into the decision to go to New Mexico? I don't think we ever actually have spoken about this before. Yeah. What kind of led to that? Well, I really wasn't running well, um, super well in my junior year and fall semester of my senior year. And even not enough to like think about doing a fifth year was not top of mind. Um, I just wasn't a competitor. I just wasn't contributing to the team. So like, why would I consider extending my career? So it was pretty, pretty quick that I started running better. And that indoor season of my senior year, I was, I was thinking this could be awesome. I I'm actually, I could contribute now. And that's pretty late in the recruiting process to start reaching out to coaches. So as a fifth, like an old, (laughs) older kid with one year of of eligibility left, I really just, reached out to a few coaches and not many New Mexico coach was friends with the Harvard coach. So yeah, coach Franklin at New Mexico had already had a couple of Harvard fifth years. So he, he had, he just um, had good experience with the the type of kid that came from there and on their attitude. And um, my head coach at Harvard, Jason Sretsky put me in touch with Joe and I, I guess at that point in the year, Joe still had some opportunities available, uh, flew me out there, um, got in two days at altitude before it started to, to feel bad. <laughs> and then we took another trip to NC state, which was great as well, but New Mexico just felt like, yeah, felt like the right choice. And it sure, it sure was. So, um, Whitney, tell us a little bit about what you do. Yes, I, I studied design in college. I did architectural design, um, which at Harvard was a more abstract liberal arts approach to architecture. So I think it set me up for a lot of you know, general design and just a creative approach to that. 
Um, at, at Tracksmith, I am working on the customer care team. So I do um, customer, customer support via email and chat and phone calls and just interacting with the customer and helping them um, find the right product for them and coordinating if anything goes wrong, um, which is, I'm not designing any product, but I am really close to the product because I'm interacting with everyone using that on a daily basis. So I have to become quite the expert on, you know, each detail of our style and how it fits and how it's going to serve the customer. Um, fortunately, Tracksmith is a small enough team where I, I just feel super welcome and open line of communication with um, various departments, including the design team. So that's been quite an opportunity. They're very supportive of not just communicating from department to department, but collaborating and learning and growing from other people. Um, not It's not just the customer service team together. So that has been quite a treat. And then, um, so like on the running aspect of things, like Tracksmith seems like they do a really good job of supporting their own employees and their like athletic endeavors. Um, how do you like, how do you happen to manage the two? Like, even though you have an employer that seems to be a little bit more like understanding of your goals and aspirations, but like take us through your day to day and how you manage. Yes. Tracksmith has been a great supporting um, employer for, for runners and they've had experience with that in the past. There's some pretty fast employees. Uh, right now I'm working not completely full-time, kind of between half and full-time. So I have a little bit more time in my day to train, but I, I like to train in the morning um, and then block out, you know, the, until the early evening I'm working with, for Tracksmith. So that gives me time to relax and like get off my feet if I need to for a few hours, because, you know, with customer service, I can, um, I can use that as recovery time too, which is nice because it's not a super active job. Uh, a couple of years back, I was working at running store, the running store in town, Marathon Sports. And if I was really sore from a workout or if something felt a little off and I was running around the sales floor all day, it could compound and turn into something worse. So at working from home for Tracksmith, I can, um, yeah, use, use that time to recover as need be. Um, as far as managing both I think I kind of just I wish I had a better routine but it's I've moved around a lot since college and just started with Tracksmith earlier this year so some of the routine has not I haven't been super successful at that but I tend to try I my natural go-to is just a priority list for my day and running is one of the most important things that I do and I want to do that first so I try to I try to train earlier in the day and um, just mentally do the things most important at the top of that list first. And then work um, is the next big chunk of my day. And then, you know, cooking dinner and maybe laundry if I feel like it. And then sleeping is super important. So capping the day with sleep may bump some other things off the list if I don't get to them. <laughs> but that's sort of how I... I manage that balance, I guess, if you could call it. Yeah, I, I think we've talked about this before, John, but I think that that's something that uh, everybody needs to kind of be better about from time to time. I'm somebody where if I don't like get my run in and also like read a book, play a game on PlayStation with my brother, 
cook some food, get one or two chores done around the apartment. I'm like, ah, you know what? I'm just going to stay up till I get it all over with. And that's speaking of mature decisions, probably not, uh, not always the best one, but yeah, having the, having the discipline to recover and kind of fit that in just as much as fitting in the workouts. Uh, that's a good way to go. Yes. Yeah. My wife has been my bad, my best asset with all of this stuff. Cause I was kind of like, uh, you know, go to work like nine to five and then go home and train and this and that. And by the, the time the day was over, I was exhausted, um, you know, and like not having quality workouts or anything like that. So um, Trisha is more of like, a, like wake up at five 30 kind of person. And then kind of like what you were saying, like prioritize the day, like running is super important to give me an hour and a half to myself to just go out and do something. <clears throat> um, you know, just a like, this is something I want to do today. And she makes sure it happens before anything else can kind of get in the way. So she's been like my biggest asset in terms of that, but um, it's still like no shame and snoozing the alarm until seven and saying, yeah. oh, I'll try. I, I always say I'm, I'm neither a morning or a night person because I love sleeping. And I, if I don't, if I go to bed late, which I'm not like perfect at bedtime, I, I need to be better with like screens and all this stuff. But I, especially during the pandemic was really fortunate to be able to, I did go to bed early, but I also didn't have to set an alarm very often. And it was just so heavenly to be able to just sleep as much as you want. And that is not the reality for a lot of people and a lot of portions of my running career, that's not been the reality, but it is, it sure is nice. I, I want to be better at, um, I think separating the mental side of having to get those things done because like you said Chris having that having a list of to-dos makes me really aware of which ones are missing even if I make myself go to sleep maybe I won't be able to sleep because I'm like I need to do these other things or I'll think of things to add to my list to, for tomorrow and it's not it's not like Monday list Tuesday list it's just an ongoing to-do list and it's like I hope I cross more of these off than I add to the list because that's kind of the challenge. The list um, never, I, the list yeah. is never completed. It's no, a, never. Yeah. Um, I'm the worst at holding on to in my head to um, that. Yeah. Things I didn't get to and that, and that can cripple the things I did get to in a way. Um, if I, if I don't um, appreciate the accomplishment of those, the, the things I do cross off. So. Sorry, I forgot I was muted. So I was like starting to talk. And I, I was saw like, you wait, pointing. Wait. I'm like, yes. <laughs> I was like, wait, because I started to talk, but I didn't want you guys to think that I was like, like going in and out. But so Whitney, when I was, um, I still kind of uh, look at TFRS a lot or TFRS, I guess people like call it whatever the heck they want. Yeah. So uh, when I was going through, I saw that you had, you had run 34, 3504 and, um, and then in a separate race place 36 at the division one East preliminary rounds. Um, so how can you, can you talk about your like transition from 36 on the East coast in the 10 K to 40th in the nation in the marathon? And, um, I think to be honest, my mindset has stayed pretty similar. It's just a matter of adjusting my, my decisions and actual um, training to optimize my, the circumstances I'm in and the physiological um, 
you know, my genes or how, whatever skills I have naturally finding how to optimize that. And that's taken a lot of, a lot of very poor <laughs> seasons of running and injury to, um, string to string together enough quality training to get there. I think I definitely respond well to consistent aerobic training. It's pretty, I mean, everyone does, but I think I'm, I'm not the runner who can take a bunch of time off and then just like muscle memory, like crush it. I, I will be super out of shape and I have to build back brick by brick. So finally figuring out some, um, training approaches that work for me, how many workouts to do in a week for me, getting ready for the marathon. A lot of times that was one, <laughs> like a workout and then like a hard long run, but I didn't do like a second big track workout of the week. It was like a much scale, much more scaled back workout. So there are training pieces for me that allowed me to make those steps. Um, but a, a lot of my running journey before that, like I said, had a similar, a similar mindset after college, I think it was hard right after college having to be in the working world of adults and trying to prioritize running outside of that bubble of the NCAA. So that was really tough. And then, um, yeah, started figuring out a better schedule and better training the last couple of years, um, including my husband coaching me, which has been a really good transition. He's really, he's good at coaching. And obviously based on my times, um, that was a factor that changed in the last four years. So, um, but I will say I, th that 35 of four at the time was really good for me because I was coming from like a lot slower times before that. So I'm ever, I think I had a lull after college and then some better races in the last couple of years. It's um, interesting that you said like, cause um, about like not taking time off. Cause I always, and I, listen to a podcast with Frank Lara or Lara, however he pronounces it. Oh, we're like, we're like best friends. Are you guys really? You know, Frank super, he's like one of our best friends. Yeah. Oh, dude. So you probably know exactly the same thing. He was saying like, he found out after trial and error that he was somebody who couldn't take like two weeks off. He's just like, mm -hmm. he's like, I'd come back and I'd get injured. And, um, I like after college, I was like, kept doing that. And, you know, I take my time off and I'd come back and I was like, oh, my like post hit is acting up or my hamstring. So I kind of, um, after listening to Frank on that podcast, I think it was over the summer or like in the fall, I kind of stopped like taking time off, if you will, or yeah. just like running every day, but doing 40 minutes a day or like running every other day, 60 to 65 minutes. But um, mm -hmm. Chris knows I don't put it all on my camera. <laughs> I have to hide it on my Strava though, because my coach follows me. So I have now like just a little separate log. That's yeah. I, now I, I hope to get into that, to that point where I have like planned off or light activity weeks, you know, after a big race. And I certainly have had, I'm, that's always after marathons, but I, I cherish the years where I get to decide those periods of rest because of how many periods of injury where it's like, oh, I just took six weeks off in the middle of the season. So <laughs> I didn't really have a season. So I'm not going to like take a break with the team, you know, but I had so many um, of those, like, I, I think a lot more break probably that's probably true for various injured runners, but time like rest time or time off was has largely been dictated by injuries and not by 
how would I like to spend my two weeks off? Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, so the healthier I get, the last couple of years I've had more more of an ability to do that. But uh, but also I think accumulation of training has allowed me to maybe retain more fitness through recent injuries. When in early college I was a younger runner, I did not maintain very much fitness during those off periods. So it is funny to look back on which of those were my choice, you know. No, totally. It's crazy to think back and look at like coming out of high school. I, when did you start running, Whitney? Were you running before high school or were you pretty much starting ninth grade? Ninth grade is when I ran like cross country for the team. Mm -hmm. I think I, I like 50% did part of the, the cross country team in like sixth grade, but I think sixth graders weren't allowed to race. So I hated that. that I don't really count that, but my family was very active and we had a um, super health nut dad who wanted us to do road races together growing up. So once in a while we do like a mile or a 5k here and there, and none of us enjoyed that. But ninth grade, I realized that I, I was mediocre at other sports and I, I liked being better than other people at running more than I hated running. And I was like, <laughs> I kind of made that trade off and I was like, I can, I can be good at this. I'm going to give it a shot. Um, cause I, I want to be good at something. <laughs> so, so then I don't know if it was because none of the other kids thought running was cool and the, the talent pool was very low, or if I was, you know, actually good in that scenario, but I was better small than other people at my school. school. Small high schools too. Yes. Oh, very small. Yeah. Also helps. I run like a, run like a 1948 5k freshman yeah. year and i'm like first out of a class of 90 something kids i'm like mm -hmm. yeah that's pretty good i'm, I'm going I'm, I'm going places this <laughs> sometimes i look back i'm like I, I i wonder if i had gone to a bigger school if i would have stuck with it or if i would have yeah. been just completely demoralized and just mm -hmm. not gone anywhere with it um but yeah i was aware i knew we weren't like a competitive program but it was still hard getting to college and like barely maybe being able to keep up with an easy run and it's like oh honey this is this is like this is your easy day you're gonna have to do a track workout tomorrow and you will be dropped so much sooner you know <laughs> it's like mm -hmm. definitely a reality check that I had a lot of progress to be made so it is tough though coming from like we, we look at college and it's like that's kind of the 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 pinnacle of running for a lot of people as far as like competing competitively goes uh, at least in the states and it's one of those things where it's like you only have maybe four ish years of lifetime mileage behind you when you're getting to that yeah. point um, yeah so it's it's not yeah. <laughs> not surprising that there's people who peak I and mean, not that I and mean, all of us are pretty young here but it's like it's, it's not surprising there's people that are running their best times when they're in their mid to late twenties or even later, just given the fact that, I don't know, when you're 14 to 18, that's not exactly a huge amount of time to, to build up a volume. Right. I remember at the time thinking I was, I mean, I, I was running a lot. I was working hard and I was thinking this isn't going great. I don't know how much I have more to give. Like I've been training super hard for like six years <laughs> and I thought that was a lot. And mm -hmm. now as a marathoner, I'm like, a baby you know I have I I feel like I can chop so many minutes off because I've I've you know not been doing the event that long but I've I've been running marathons you know for half of my college career and right now that doesn't seem like long and in college it was like this is 
half of my career and it's not going well. And it seemed like a super long time and not something that I could maintain or improve off of. It seemed it, there were certain times where it seemed like it was the peak and I'm certainly glad it wasn't, but yeah. John, you were probably going to get to this, uh, but what, what wound up leading to the transition to jumping up in distance for you? That was, that, that only looks like a decision that was made later. My high school coach, knowing I was going to a, you know, a division one program, I was going to be in over my head, knew it was going to be tough. Before I left for college, he was like, the next four years, you may think they go well, you may not, but the, the 2016 trials, I guess, was a full year after I graduated. And he said, I guess he knew I was probably wasn't going to make a track a track trials at that time but he he said you can qualify in the half 75 minute half marathon you should do this you can do it go to grandma's marathon in minnesota it's flat and he he was like just an idea of this specific race just a very specific idea (laughs) like right when you graduate college in 2015 just like get your qualifier um it's, it's, you'll be better at that than kind of than you ever will at the other things in a very positive way. It was like, you have a lot ahead of you. Don't limit yourself based on some, you know, three to six mile races in the next four years, which may go great. And the faster you run in those, the better marathoner you're going to be. But if you like being competitive and if you like winning, we all know that's where you're headed sort of. And I was up for that. I was fine with that. Um, same, same deal as starting cross country in high school. It's like, I want to be good. I want to be as good as I can be. It doesn't really matter what I'm doing. You know? And when, when you have that kind of approach, you can kind of like um, appreciate like that four years or that five years as kind of like a stepping stone. Like, Oh, mm-hmm. like this is just part of the journey. Whereas I think a lot of people when um, like when college is over, you know, they, they assume and, probably what you guys were saying earlier is like they just assume that their career is over um versus like all right dude like you're 22 years old now and you've been like throwing down like 60 to 90 miles a week for the last three years like your career is just beginning if you want it to yeah so that kind of advice or that sort of information probably was helpful in just helping like propel you forward Mm -hmm. absolutely that was hard to hang on to at certain points, like lower points, but um, I mean, people say keep showing up and I th- I don't love that it's that cliche, but it's with running, it's literally like an accumulation of miles. <laughs> so if you can do them, you're gonna, you're gonna get to a, a yeah, you're gonna reach new, new heights if you stick with it. And if, if you don't like it, you shouldn't like force yourself to do that. But if you do, it's going to go somewhere if you keep working at it. And for me, that wasn't always running. I did a lot of cross training in college to try to imitate that, um, not imitate, replace some of that aerobic um, volume. And there are ways to work around if things aren't going your way, you can still work towards a goal, um, even if it's with ulterior means. So that's, I, I, I had to figure that out based on some, like I said, injuries and setbacks, but it's cool to, just have the endpoint in mind and know that there's, even if college seems like the be all end all, adult life is much, goes far beyond 22 and the NCAA system, so. 
Nice. And um, so actually, I was going to say this closer towards the end, but since you had like mentioned um, adulthood um, and now you're back in Boston, tell like talk a little bit about your experience as um, how is Boston different now as a married adult um, than it was as like a 17, 18, 19 year old um, student at Harvard? Yeah. Um, like, is, it, different. is it just feel different or like is the COVID city might have something to do with that? <laughs> yeah, I guess that's um, true. After my year in New Mexico, I moved back to Boston for a couple years there. So I've, this is the third time I moved here. Gotcha. Um, okay. And it is, it is challenging looking back at the, the Harvard bubble, if you will, of, you know, so much support from teammates and, and teachers and roommates. And um, it's a, a bummer that I was, that I didn't really have the running career there for the first two and a half years. Cause I feel like compared to now that seemed very optimal for, for being happy and healthy and running well. And um, there's, a, you know, it, it doesn't really help to look back on, but now I have more awareness of what running fast looks like and how that fits into an otherwise happy and healthy lifestyle with my relationships and like my work. And um, I didn't have as much of that awareness when I was in that perfect bubble, if you know what I mean. So it's just kind of having to having to live just a mile outside of Harvard Square and remember those, you know, golden days. And now it's, um, yeah, some, sometimes it's tough to, to uh, reminisce and kind of, kind of wish I had run faster in college, but I'm, I would rather be on this end of the, of the snack curve, the, the uh, upward trend instead of those being my peak and then not, not having, um, the running career now that I do, which I'm really proud of and excited for, but it, it is tough being <laughs> post-collegiate and just trying to straddle the line of professional runner and working adult that um, I, I think is where I'm at, given that I don't have a professional contract. <laughs> That's not where I have to be. <laughs> I would say it sounds like, I mean, from at least my perspective, I think part of the, the reason for your success though, since wrapping up stuff at Harvard is you've been able to kind of build your own support system. You talk about how there kind of is that built-in system when you're in college, but it's not always right for everybody. And it's not always as, as one-on-one -on -one. and it sounds like you had, you enjoyed your time at Harvard and, uh, and liked everybody there, but you have a slightly more personal relationship with your coach now <laughs> with Riley. And, uh, and it's kind of allows you to sort of mix and match and kind of create your own system so i wouldn't I get where you're what you're saying but also i think that that's probably a, a big part of uh why you're able to do what you're doing right now too absolutely there there are things about a larger team culture that are really good in college but um there are there are elements of training that there's i don't think my coaches could have done better with like my like thyroid levels, which, which for me are not fine now, but we're off in college and contributed to some of my injuries. My, my coach couldn't look at how my training was going and like fix those elements. But as like an educated adult with a husband who's, who has a master's in exercise physiology, we can talk about things that only pertain to me and seek out the, 
you know, doctors or physical therapists like Chris and um, work through some of those challenges or weaknesses or whatever much more efficiently and not on a collegiate schedule, which is <laughs> very convenient some years uh, when I can race for a season or I can not and it's I didn't miss out on anything you know like in college how many seasons I, <laughs> I missed out on um but I now I'm not confined by those things and it's cool to be able to dial in and I think that kind of focus and problem solving and from me and my support system post-college has led to my continued improvement so yeah these are the new golden days <laughs> up from here uh, Whitney, what's what's the relationship with your husband like as your coach? Like, how do you guys separate the two, or is it always just like a blend of there's always coaching going, and then there's always husband wife conversations going, even like during runs yeah. and workouts and stuff. Um, I would say we're both we both like running so much that it's not it's never off limits. It's never like we never need to take a break from the subject. Um, I think we do bring very different qualities to what my running career has become. So for, I think it's, it's very much a joint thing. So he, my husband's still very fit, but defers to me on like racing priorities. And like, I'm, I'm the, I'm the person we're like planning our, our athletic endeavors around, if you will, like scheduling wise, it's, um, my running is the priority, which I'm super fortunate that he feels that way. And I, I, that's, it's almost like if you could put an extra person's work and training into your training, you would be so much faster, you know? And I feel like his commitment to my running has done just that. Um, I definitely have more of a uh, kind of idealist perfectionist tendencies when it comes to my training and trying to do everything I can. Like I said, that priority list, I want I don't want to just cross them off, but I want things to be done right. And I want to do all the miles I plan to do and the paces I plan to run. And he's, um, he's the person who like holds me back when I need to like do a mile less or, um, like lighten up about how a workout went or whatever. And I think knowing that he, he's never like telling me I'm not working hard enough or need to, to care more or anything like that. It's quite the opposite. It's like, it's fine. You need to like relax. And 95% of your effort today was great because you don't want to like, you know, hit a lull from being like working, you know, going too hard or overtraining or anything. So he's the one to kind of rein that in. So that pretty much is, yeah, I think works for us. Cause we, we never err on the other side, like what the other person kind of brings. I would never be the person who like is like oh I don't care I'm gonna skip a run and he's like you have to run like <laughs> I'm always the person who's like you know this hurts a little bit but I'm gonna run anyway and he's like no no you need to take a nap so that works really well <laughs> I like your priority list um your boy Ron Swanson says don't half-ass two things whole ass one thing yes so. <laughs> um I we love parks and rec around here yeah that's, that's exactly. one of my favorite. That's one of my wife's favorite lines. Whenever mm -hmm. I like start getting too scatterbrained, um, yes. I just like have a couple different jobs and just like a couple different. And I'm not organized by nature, yes. so every now and then I hear Trisha saying like, you know, whole don't have to ask two things, whole ass one thing. Yes, oh, it's perfect. Um, 
one funny story, coaching story. I, I'm just going to tell the story of our one conflict because it's funny and we don't have coaching runner coach conflicts before the trials in 20. This was at the beginning of 2020. And I, um, no, it was the year before, excuse me. This was building up to my qualifier. So this is 2019, January. I did an indoor race, a 5k just as a rest buster practice hurting, getting out there. It's not going to, we're not in any top tier shape. So it wasn't fast, but the plan was, you know, maybe you can break 17. I think that was the mark we were going for. If, you know, if you just stick to the plan and the plan was just run with the pack and don't make any sudden surges. We're just practicing steady effort. It's going to hurt the whole time. No sudden surges and run with the pack. So we go out, I go out and the pace is just yo-yoing like crazy. Like the pack is running like an 80 and then like an 84 and then like an 81 and an 84. And it's like, ah, like no one's doing this right, but I'm not supposed to make any sudden surges. So I couldn't like throw down and, and drop the group. Plus we realized after a normal, my husband's a miler. And so just a, like a moderate, um, very slow, slow move in a race for him is like a huge surge for me because I have no like fast twitch muscles going on. And so as what he thought was a, a surge is something I was not capable of doing at that point in time in fitness. And what I thought of was as a surge was just, just like a little bit of a speed up so that the, the group you're running with doesn't throw you off the pace. So I just stayed with the group that was not running steadily. And he was like, why didn't you just run how we said, like the right pace? And I was like, I couldn't make a sudden move. And he was like, <laughs> what? You couldn't, you couldn't like run one second ahead of the group. So I just felt horrible. And I felt like his, his uh, race plan for me was something I executed and it went horribly wrong. And then it was a misunderstanding. So what we learned is that I, a, we, we have to meet in the middle on like what a surge means in a race because- yeah. For me, that it doesn't, it's what feels like a surge doesn't look like a surge to anyone else. It just looks like a very gradual, um, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, change in speed. So that's our Definitions one. Missions are important. <laughs> yeah. For the marathon, the, the race plan is pretty straightforward. It's like you've done your workouts at this pace, you can hold that pace and don't skip any bottles. So, boom. Yeah. Wait, you talk about your like your transition from the Silo District Marathon in Waco, where you ran. Um, just under 240 and then at the Olympic trials setting a PR on like a freaking monster course yeah and then uh, we had the pleasure of watching you although not knowing it was you at the time um, running at the marathon project where you ran 233 so talk about that transition does it seem surreal and like what's what's next yeah um that was a great year I think my lead up to the silo district marathon was the biggest jump in fitness I think since college so that was kind of coming off some um some injuries some changes in job and moving around and we I had done Berlin the fall before that and missed the standard and it was you know bonked really bad that was my first like try at the at getting that trial standard so building up to the silo district marathon we were um we took a really long, slow build. Like I said, that, that rust buster race was in January and my race was like, my marathon was like May 1st or something. And we were like, well into training at the beginning of the year. So super long, slow build. 
And then my Achilles was bothering me that spring. So after the Sialisic marathon, which we had some fueling issues there, like not, I didn't get enough calories. Um, and it was, I was in, I think better shape than that time would suggest. So it looks like a huge jump, but for us, it was just kind of like the prelim, like we're going to get the time. <laughs> and it was, I'm glad that it didn't go south more than it did. But um, I actually had to take a, a little over two months off of running after that race for my Achilles. And that was concerning because it was going into this like Olympic trials year. So huge break. And then knowing what we had done for the Silo District Marathon with that slow build, we kind of took the same approach that fall and just really gradually up the miles, didn't do anything crazy. Um, but we, we were going to, we were, let's see, we had moved to Nashville earlier that year. And so there's a park in Nashville called Percy Warner Park that has a 12 mile loop that is pretty close to twice, let's see, twice as hilly on average as the course in Atlanta. Um, some, some steep, some long steep hills. And we would go there for long runs most weekends and just sometimes run harder, sometimes run easier, but we just, well, I remember one of my workouts was just to do that loop, like pretty hard, like literally no time in mind, just like make it hurt, run 12 miles, which, which one of those loops is almost at the elevation change of the trials course. So we just crushed that loop. Didn't do too much by time, but, um, comparing to some of my runs on like normal flat <laughs> areas, I was still running like decently fast on some of those hills and feeling pretty good. Lots of mileage. If I can stay healthy, healthy, then I thrive off of mileage. So it's sort of like a lot. I know some people don't do as many runs, like over 20 miles super far out from the marathon. But for me, I was throwing those in, in the fall and, um, just, just a lot of running and not a lot of, not a lot of measuring my fitness. It was a lot more of just that process. There's nothing to measure on this, this really brutal loop course. It's just pain and hold it together. Um, and, and make sure you rest the next day. Cause you, I remember after the workout, I just did a hard loop. I my quads were shredded up. So it's, it's a good place to train for that. And, um, thankfully I also had a good schedule of rest and recovery. And I was, I worked remotely for a little bit and then I was doing some dog sitting and some personal training and coaching here and there. So it was pretty informal and I was able to really dial in on sleep and, um, strength and just no, no magic dust or anything, just kind of the boring stuff. Um, and a really long, slow build, which for me, it's, it's kind of the story of my career. It's like just the grind, no big spikes. Um, even though some of the race results, I think look like that. It was like, this sort of worked last time. We'll tweak a few things, namely sleeping more, like playing a little bit with fueling. Um, one thing that has helped me, especially during that block was not fueling for every long, not doing in during run fueling for every long run. We really, I, I don't have a lot of stomach issues, so we could kind of save that for later in the training block. And we did a lot of long runs with like just water. Um, so that we were kind of pushing me to that edge of, of the glycogen stores and like almost bonking. And my body got more and more comfortable with that, which helped me feel so much better in Atlanta when there's 
it was just a matter of when, you know, you couldn't prevent it. <laughs> um, so yeah, that was my, my lead up to that. And um, it was fun because I, we didn't really know what, how it would line up at the trials, but I was feeling really good on that kind of terrain. And I attribute that to Percy Warner Park. <laughs> some people have Flagstaff, some people have, uh, have Boulder, Percy Warner Park gets yep. the job done. Mm -hmm. Just for the record, the other ladies from the Middle Tennessee area super upset their seed as well. So I think it's awesome. yeah, something in the water or or just the park. But yeah. <laughs> we all we all did good. A little, little bit of both, a little bit of both. Um, Whitney, so like you were talking um, a little bit about home earlier, and I actually wrote down something because um, I read that you're from Asheville, right? Mm -hmm. like that kind of area yeah. so um so one my coach uh coaches at zap i guess or whatever the heck they are now up what? in uh, up in blowing rock so like yeah. i was joking joking with him one day because um he wants us to come down and move there so like why don't why who don't people the, who is your friend uh is matt it? lapiccolo oh okay yeah so he's one of the coaches there i think mm -hmm. he, he coached andrew but I think since they've kind of like downsized because the pandemic, yeah. so like they don't, they don't have a lot of money, like money coming in. So he's since moved back to Durham for a little bit. I think kind of manages more remotely so his wife can work. But okay. um, so he was trying to convince us to come out to, to Beach Mountain, which is like the only place on the East Coast that you can train at elevation. Yes. How come, how come there's no, how come there's no like professional running groups? Like why doesn't, why doesn't OnZap or why don't they go up to like, like, Beach oh, Mountain. To beach? Yeah. Beach Mountain is like a tiny ski community and there's nowhere to run. Like you can run like a mile and then you go straight down the mountain. I was just okay. there a couple months ago. Um, you need to build a track. Go back and build a track. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, all we need to do is buy a house and then we can drive down to run in Boone or whatever. But I, it also takes a long time to get from Beach Mountain down to a track. Probably... Those probably half an hour to get to a track, maybe not crazy. Um, yeah, I know Tristan Van Ord on Zap. She's, yeah, she's super cool. So I know some of those people that I, I do. <laughs> sometimes my husband and I just look at random properties like at Elevation, like wouldn't this be fun? And we've looked at beach. It's pretty affordable. My, I don't know for my, how long. My wife and I, my wife and I do the same thing because I'm a physical therapist, so I can work literally anywhere. And Trisha <laughs> works mostly remote now. So like we we just bought a house up here in uh, Saratoga. So we're not going anywhere anytime soon. But if this like keeps trending the way it is, like we would we would consider it a little bit more, especially because we loved Asheville and Boone when we went. Asheville is like best. I thought was, everyone just had some attachment to their hometown, like they would move back because they're from there no no questions asked and I realized in college that that was not the case some people were like get me out of there but Asheville is special it's yeah it's pretty great let's see so Chris if you don't have anything else I had one more question I just wanted to I wanted to hear a little bit about your experience as um winning the NCAA championship because that's not or like with the team because that's not something so far any of our guests can say I think we had one division three champ on but other than that like no one else can say anything to, to that magnitude. So just like kind of like humble brag about it a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's see. I'll start with the self-deprecating stuff because I have to get that out of the way. I was, I ran, but was not in the top five at nationals. So it's sort of, I feel like you can always be on the edge of, 
the greatness you aspire to, you know, like maybe you want to be NCAA champ and you get third or you want to be all American and get like 45th. I, I wanted to score. and I, I was the seventh runner that day. Um, so pers- like in the moment I was kind of like, Oh, I wish I was just a few, you know, a few minutes up or, or probably 30 seconds would have gotten me to score. Cause it was very densely packed. Um, but I, all things considered, I mean, I had the season of my life, like becoming a recruited athlete for the first time as a 22 year old, and then training with the coolest and fastest women in the country. Um, in the, one of the best places to train, in my opinion, it was, I mean, it was just paradise. We, we all got along. There was actually several fifth years there. So we sort of had our own little class of newbies who were old and, and, um, I think we had not arrogance, but some amount of confidence from the beginning of the season that we were all there to get, get the job done and knew what we had was really special. And it never felt like tons of pressure. It was very empowering and positive and um, thinking of all we had to gain and not nothing to lose, you know, and that's what, that's what coach Franklin always would say to us. Um, this kind of phrase we would always say to each other is um, expect nothing, achieve everything. And we sort of went into every day with that attitude. Like we don't have to have, you know, the perfect splits today. It's okay. If we didn't sleep perfectly last night, we're doing our best and it's going to be good enough. And it, it was better than anyone else had done at that meet. So I'd say we, it was good enough and we, just didn't overthink it. So I remember at the Wisconsin invite, that was the, one of the earlier season meets where we got a a little bit more attention from how we performed. And before the race, coach Franklin knew it was going to go well, obviously. And we had, we sat down and he's like, I just want you to go out there and have fun and run with your friends, just pack up, just like you do every day, run together and going to be great. And then the only debrief after we ran out of, like super well and we're looking like we could win a national title after that day, the post-race recap was, did you have fun? <laughs> did you <laughs> run with your friends? And that we could, we could say yes, you know, and that was the, the process of, um, I, I mean, we had that goal in mind, like chasing a national title, but the process of the of what we did each day and the type of people we were that came together to um just go through that daily process is what eventually produced the title it wasn't the other way around we weren't constantly like we have to do this or else you know it was sort of um yeah it was just quite quite a treat to be part of that um and it was pretty much as good as it like it seemed like it was it was there was very few low points of that season it was very um inspirational and something I look back on to say I achieved that I know I can do more you know I know I'm I'm I've got it you know a good note to close out the collegiate career and then yeah I think so I mean especially considering my if you've seen my like high school mile split page or like the the walk-on athlete I was for anyone to think that I would be on a national championship team would have been quite a surprise, including myself. I was like, what am I doing here? This is, this is (laughs) great.
just a testament to like how hard you've worked even back in ninth grade and then just setting the tone uh, for your attitude and your work ethic going forward. So I think that's something to be applauded and that's something that you should like be super happy and super proud about despite, you know, you know, finishing two spots farther back than, than where you wanted. But I think just in the grand scheme of things, that's such an awesome accomplishment that only seven other people, seven other women uh, get to save for that year. So yeah, kudos to you. That's super awesome. I think something I've come to realize somewhat since since running and especially since college the distinct distinguishing between like hard work and talent I think sometimes those things are kind of on two different sides um and growing up I kind of wanted to be the talented one you know I wanted to be the star who's like oh they're so talented they just beat everyone and it doesn't even look hard and I I realize now I I would so much rather be the hard worker who like has that experience and struggle to look back on um, just like the college recruiting as a fifth year. I, I appreciated it more. I think every, um, every run, I mean, after an injury, it's literally like every run I do, I'm like so appreciative, you know, but then after, you know, hard training blocks or seasons that go um, different than I expect having a race that, that shows that hard work is really um satisfying especially given the challenge and I also think that hard work and that discipline that I have is is its own sort of talent like that's harder for some people who may have more natural talent or whatever you Mm -hmm. call it they may they may struggle with the discipline and motivational side of things and I I do too at certain times but I would say that that's I'm more I may be more talented in that discipline area than I am just in like immediate foot speed but it's still something that I I can't say is is um something I built myself you know there's certainly a component of like that just being how I am and it's not necessarily a given for each runner that they have that so I'm I'm thankful that I was blessed with that I I'm pretty sure I got that from my dad he's like super stickler about everything (laughs) but um there there's skill in that too and I would rather have that hard work kind of discipline skill than just the natural talent skill. You know what I mean? So. Chris, do you have anything to add? No, I, I think that I, I completely, completely agree with what you're saying there. I think it's, uh, I, I, when we look at like the, the people from Oneana, John, that like we, we were at school with at the same time, even like you wound up taking a little time off for, uh, after you spent some time, uh, with Stoughton and Syracuse. I, I laugh. It's like, I was, I kind of never really had to take a step back just because I had a very different collegiate experience than you did. Um, But it's like, I see a lot of people that kind of took some time off and had a little bit, not necessarily you, but uh, some people had a tougher time adjusting to getting used to the, the, like the solo training or the less, less structured training. Um, and kind of took a little step back before kind of bouncing back off and uh, kind of figuring things out on their own and kind of relaunching things. So, no, I, I think that like you're saying, Whitney, I think it's super important to be able to kind of have that internal drive. And it's not necessarily, it's a combination of something that you're, you're born with and also kind of have to have to work on and work towards and kind yeah. of uh, feed in order to make right. it. So. I think something I didn't touch on in our chat is, my my support system and people supporting me in my kind of growth because 
they I think people in my life who know I'm a runner they think I'm just like so into it and like uncompromising in my lifestyle and it's like no I I don't go to bed when I want to go to bed I don't always like get in the quality run that I want it's not perfect there's like a lot of things that I know I could do better and they the people in my life prioritize it too and allow me to kind of do that so like I can't count the number of times in the middle of like a family day trip where I'm like I just got to get in an hour run like can you drop me at this trailhead and they're all like yay like we can do that you know (laughs) and it's, it's so crazy to think that that they think they're just letting me do my thing but because they know me and they know that I care those they're actively supporting me through that and there's a lot of miles and a lot of like a lot of miles I wouldn't have run a lot of races I wouldn't have achieved at all like I probably might I might not be running if I didn't have those people in those moments to be like you're great you're so motivated and you're doing this and I'm like I don't feel like I am I feel like it's I'm you know it's falling apart but that that has been like a deal breaker like I really don't think I would be where I am without that it's yeah especially my husband who's like you're you're super fast like you're gonna do this this and this and get top 40 at the trials and I'm like no I'm not that's ridiculous you know and through that belief I can kind of get on board so it's very um uh humbling to kind of look back at that um so yeah it's awesome Whitney your your story is awesome thank you so much for sharing it with us of course that was fun thanks for listening Thanks for listening. I'm biased, but this is the kind of story of the diamond in the rough that makes me love podcasts. Each one of these keeps getting better and better, and we're receiving more and more views or listens, finally having cracked 100 listens with our last pod. Shout out to Karen Bertasso. To see more of Whitney, who is currently training at Altitude in Colorado, follow her on Instagram at Whitney Thornburg, all one word. Let's see if we can get her to 1,000 followers by the end of the trials. I think currently she's six away. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned for more.